All right, so I'll welcome you again. Um, most of you know my name by now, but uh, if you're new or you're recent, uh, my name is Dylan. I'm on staff uh, at Summit officially as the facilities manager, but kind of fill in wherever I'm able to help out. Um, so I'm excited to be with you this morning sharing. Um, it's not always my most comfortable spot to be, but I'm excited to be here with you and to continue on in our Ezra and Nehemiah series. Uh, so as Pastor Travis mentioned, we're going to be in Ezra 4 today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to do that. And uh, as you do that, I guess I'll welcome you to Biblical History 201. Um, because there's a lot of details, a lot of history in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so there's a lot of that, and I'm going to try to be as efficient at getting everything across as possible today um, because of the way the service was structured and everything. I'll try to be quick and make sure we still get out of here on time. Um, so I, I mentioned that there's a lot of information, a lot of history, a lot of details uh, in this passage. But honestly, I really like that. I love the details. I love digging in and finding the facts. Um, at face value, if you're just reading through this passage, if you're trying to read through the Bible in a year or whatever it is, this passage might be a little hard to get through or it might seem a little dry um, at first glance. And I'll be honest, when Travis first gave me this passage this for this morning, I was like, how am I going to talk about that for any length of time? Because it's kind of, there's not a whole lot of deeper meanings, words that you can draw out the different definitions in the original language. What did that mean? Because it's, it's really the history of the Israelites. And so I was like, how am I going to talk about this? Because spoiler alert, I'll give you in one sentence the whole premise of the chapter. They are, they've come back to Israel to rebuild the temple. They start rebuilding the temple. People don't want them to build the temple. So they stop. And then finally they rebuild the temple. So that's pretty much it. If you want to check out after that, you'll have all the spark notes you need to, to get through the exam. But the more that you dig into those details, if you put a little effort in, um, look up some of the names that are in this passage, the more the picture starts to get filled in, um, the more those details start to come to life. And instead of just being text, like in a history book, you can start to really feel and relate to what these characters, uh, what these people were doing and the way that God is moving through their story. Um, and so I think it's interesting that often we think of history, having it written down is a good idea because it helps us not to make the same mistakes. But as Solomon wrote, there's nothing new under the sun. And somehow we still continually fall into the same pitfalls. And so I think this text is helpful today because of that, because we still fall into the same um, being disheartened, being opposed, and wanting to give up that the Israelites faced here in Ezra 4. So this is applicable to our lives in the ways that we still struggle today. And so I'm going to give you a recap of this is our third week in the book of Ezra. And so the first week we saw King Cyrus becomes king and he releases the exiles from Babylon to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. They'd been in captivity for about 70 years and he releases them to go back and rebuild. Last week we read about them actually starting to, they rebuilt, they built an altar so they can make sacrifices to God. And then they poured the foundation as in preparation to rebuild the temple. And so that's where we're at so far in the story of Ezra. 
And that brings us to Ezra 4 this morning. Uh, And here's where we start to see opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. And so I'm going to read just the first few verses, Ezra 4, 1 through 5, so you can read along. If you don't have a Bible, the verses should be up on the screen. But the writer in Ezra says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the family heads and said to them, Let us build with you, for we also worship your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time King Esarhaddon of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the other heads of Israel's family answered them, You may have no part with us in building a house for our God, since we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them, to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. So quick overview of that. What, what we really have in Ezra 4, what, what the point of this chapter is, is it's really a snapshot, an overview of the, all the opposition that the returning Israelites faced when they came back into the land. It's kind of really almost a sidebar to the rest of the story. Um, because if you read through the text, just top to bottom, it's not chronologically ordered, but it's giving you an idea of all the opposition that they faced. Um, the next chapters go into a bit more detail about some of those specific things. Um, but right here in Ezra 4, we get this 30,000 foot view of all the trouble, all the discouragement that they uh, came across while they were rebuilding in Jerusalem. And so I think I mentioned before, I know not everyone loves history class and dates and names of kings and all those things, but I want to kind of use uh, the kings that, that were in power at that time to give you a little bit of an outline, a timeline of what we see happen in Ezra. <clears throat> and so, so far... Um, in Ezra 1, we talked about King Cyrus came into power. He came into power um, by overthrowing Babylon. He, he was already a king, but the Israelites were in uh, captivity in Babylon. King Cyrus overthrows Babylon. Now he's also king there. Um, and one of the first things he does is release the Israelites to go home and rebuild. So that's that. They've left. We get to that point. So over 40,000 exiles return to Israel. And they begin, begin rebuilding the temple. So after Cyrus passes away, his son, uh, Cambyses, then becomes king. And after him, there's another king, Darius. And it's during Darius's reign that the temple is finally finished. <clears throat> and so there's more detail about Darius and communication with him later on in Ezra. But that's where we'll leave it for today. Um, so let's jump back into our passage with, we've got those three kings, remember them, they're important to understanding the timeline of the story. Uh, let's pick up in verse 11 and read uh, some of these letters. That, that's the next thing in the passage, uh, is a couple of letters that enemies of Israel wrote to uh, the kings to try to get uh, the building to be stopped. And so Ezra 4, uh, we'll pick up in verse 11. This is the text of the letter they sent to him, to King Artaxerxes, from your servants, 
the men from the region west of the Euphrates River. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came from you have returned to us at Jerusalem. They are building that rebellious and evil city, finishing its walls and repairing its foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, duty, or land tax, and the royal revenue will suffer. Since we have taken an oath of loyalty to the king, and it is not right for us to witness his dishonor, we have sent to inform the king that a search should be made in your predecessor's record books. In these record books, you will discover and verify that the city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces. There have been revolts in it since ancient times. That is why the city was destroyed. We advise the king that if the city is rebuilt and its walls are finished, you will not have any possession west of the Euphrates. And then jumping down again, we see Artaxerxes' response. Uh, down to verse 18, the letter you sent us has been translated and read in my presence. I issued a decree and a search was conducted. It was discovered that this city has had uprisings against kings since ancient times, and there have been rebellions and revolts in it. Powerful kings have also ruled over Jerusalem and exercised authority over the whole region west of the Euphrates River, and tribute, duty, and land tax were paid to them. Therefore, issue an order for these men to stop, so that this city will not be rebuilt until a further decree has been pronounced by me. See that you not neglect this matter, otherwise the damage will increase and the royal interest will suffer. As soon as the text of King Artaxerxes' letter was read to Raham, Shimshai the scribe, and their colleagues, they immediately went to the Jews in Jerusalem and forcibly stopped them. Have you ever felt like the entire world is up against you? <clears throat> so it's after this letter to Artaxerxes that the Israelites are forced to stop building. Uh, the funding that they were promised, uh, King Cyrus, by the way, when he released them to go back, he also said, we're going to pay for it for you to rebuild. Um, and so with, with this decree from the king, the funding that was promised for reconstruction is gone. And for a period of time, they have to stop progress. But the reason I'd laid out the timeline of the king so far is because this letter, these letters occurred after the temple had already been rebuilt. Um, so if you remember the kings that we mentioned previously, there was Cyrus, Cambyses, and Darius. And the temple was finished under Darius's rule. Then there came another king, Ahasuerus, or depending on your translation, it may say uh, Xerxes, and King Artaxerxes. So they were really creative with coming up with names back then. <clears throat> But so these letters that show up in the text are written to stop progress even after the temple had already been rebuilt. So you can see every step of the way in rebuilding, the Israelites faced this opposition. It's almost like they couldn't catch a break. They're rebuilding the temple, they get opposition, they get held up. They, finalize, they fi finish that under Darius, and then they still can't win, and a king forces them to stop. And so that's really where Ezra 4 ends because it's kind of zooming in on all of the opposition that they faced. So if we were to just stop reading in Ezra 4 here, if we were finishing up our daily Bible reading at Ezra 4, it's a little bit of a letdown because they're done and they're stopped. But God's not done yet. 
in the prophecies that had said that they would be taken into captivity and would remain there for 70 years and then come back, God's promise was that they would rebuild Jerusalem. And so if God said it, believe it. And we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition, especially when we're in the midst of God's will. I think that echoes some things that Travis said last week, that especially when we're in the middle of God's will, we're going to face opposition from others. And Jesus said in John 16 that we would have trouble in this world. And so if God said it, believe it. So things don't always go the way we, we thought they would, right? We run into problems, we get tripped up, we stall out. And can you imagine the excitement of the Israelites as they're going back home? They waited like 70 years in captivity, and then almost overnight, Babylon is overthrown, and they get released to go home. That, that made me think of so many times when I'm, I'm in the midst of something and I'm like, okay, God, how are you going to work this out? Like, but look how fast God can turn things around. If he said it, believe it because his promises are true. Even if you can't see how it could possibly work out, he can make it happen. In an instant, Babylon is overthrown. The Israels are going back home when there would have been no hope in sight otherwise. So yeah, so Babylon is overthrown. The first thing, one of the first things that King Cyrus says is you can go home and rebuild. By the way, we're going to pay for it. And I'm sure those first couple of years that they were back in Israel, back in Jerusalem, they were just filled with joy, beside themselves with joy, knowing that the prophecy has come true. God is with us. He's brought us back. He's going to fulfill his promise. And then the rug gets pulled out from underneath you. The new king doesn't support what you're trying to do. Some things from your past come up to the surface and they mar your image. They mar your reputation. Because in reality, it's really not surprising that Artaxerxes would have stopped the building process. He looked back through these historical records and the Israelites had no way to deny that they had a messy history full of rebellions, full of revolts, full of battles. Um, as someone in charge, it's like, yeah, we might want to put them on a leave of absence for a little while. And sometimes, sometimes if there's opposition, then the right thing to, to do is to just wait on the Lord, to let him fight for you. And as we go deeper into Ezra in these next couple of weeks, uh, we'll see how this particular situation gets resolved. But so while sometimes it is the right move to just stop and wait to let God fight for you, we have to be careful not to see every bump in the road as an impassable obstacle. Because if we, we rewind, remember, we're, we're now after the temple is finished and the new king, Artaxerxes, is stopping them from rebuilding the rest of Jerusalem. If we rewind back to the rebuilding of the temple... That was the primary mission when they first went back. That was the reason they were going back originally, was to rebuild the temple. 
Um, and so let's, let's read the first uh, three verses of Ezra again. Uh, so Ezra 4, 1 through 3. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the family heads and said to them, let us build with you. For we also worship your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of King Esar Hadan of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the other heads of Israel's families answered them, You may have no part with us in building a house for our God, since we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So the enemies that we see here are people that were from surrounding areas. Um, they specifically mention Assyria. And when the Israelites had been taken into exile in Babylon, some of these people from the surrounding areas moved in um, to the land of Israel and they started intermarrying with some of the Israelites that were left over that didn't get taken into captivity. Um, and so when the leaders uh, are back, these people who are already living there come and say, we want to help uh, rebuild this temple. We worship the same God as you. And so at first glance, it may seem like they're being kind of jerks. Like, no, you can't have any part in this. But really, they say that they worship the same God. And they probably did technically along with all of their other gods and idols. And so that's why uh, the leaders refused to let them help. Because it was supposed to be God's people building his temple where he would dwell with them. But so after they, they say this, let's look at what happens next, verses 4 and 5. Then the people who are already in the land, these are the enemies, discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. So the Israelites kind of get run through the ringer um, as they attempt to make progress and rebuild um, step after step, there's opposition. It sounds like the enemies may have threatened them because it said they were afraid to build. Uh, and they even got the Israelites hung up in legal battles. They bribed officials, probably made false accusations. Um, I mean, they probably tried to force them to build a sidewalk out in front of the temple and got that <laughs> held up. So I'll just, I'll leave that alone for the rest. But you never know what the Jerusalem planning board was like. But sadly their tactics worked. Um, work on the temple ceased for an extended period of time. Uh, some scholars believe that work might have even stopped for as much as 16 or 18 years. Um, and it, it didn't take much more than 20 or so to rebuild the whole temple. So there was a lot of downtime when they, they stopped. But unlike this time in the future when Artaxerxes forces them to stop, we don't have any information that would lead us to believe that they were forced to stop building the temple. They just became discouraged. And so what they end up doing is they leave the temple, they go back to their own homes, they take the path of least resistance. They got focused on making themselves comfortable and they lost sight of the mission that God had brought them home to do in the first place. And so, as kind of a common timeline in the book of Haggai, uh, the people get reminded of why God brought them back. 
we did a series through the book of Haggai uh, a couple of summers ago, just after COVID had kind of hit. Um, and so if you haven't heard through that series, I know some of you are newer since in the last two years. Um, if you haven't heard that series or if you've never read through the book of Haggai, um, I would encourage you to go check that out because it was a really fun and interesting series. Um, and this is kind of my own sidebar. It's, it's easy to forget sometimes because some of these books in Scripture are kind of far apart in our printed Bibles. But these stories are so tightly woven together. The history is so, it fits together like a puzzle. Um, these prophets, these priests, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, I couldn't think of a better term, but they're basically the biblical Avengers. Like, they, they've got their own books, they've got their own stories and timelines, but they all fit together and they're all, they make cameos in each other's stories, they're there. Um, and so it's really neat to think about them all working together to get people back on track and following God's plan. Um, someone will probably make a lame spinoff now, so that's not good. Uh, but so that's, uh, let's get back to the Bible um, and read uh, Haggai 1, 1 through 4, and those will be up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. Uh, so the writer of Haggai said, in the second year of King Darius, we remember him, uh, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, these people say the time has not yet come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And so first off, just a, a context thing. It may sound almost like a dig at first when he says you're living in your paneled houses because that might sound kind of cheap. Um, but in reality, he was saying they're fancy houses because probably what they would have done is had wood paneling over their stone walls. And so it would probably be like the equivalent of us having a shiplap wall in our house today. And so he's really saying, you've taken time and built your own houses. You've made yourself comfortable. You've been fancy. And the whole reason you were brought back here was to build God's temple. But now you're sitting here and saying that, oh, it's not time to do that yet. But so Haggai comes firm with a word, a word from the Lord. And if we jump down to verse 14 and 15 in Haggai, we see the response of some of the people. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. They began work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So the people had lost sight. They'd been discouraged and they took the path of least resistance. And it takes someone like Haggai stepping up with a firm reminder from God that they weren't brought back to Jerusalem to just sit in their own fancy houses to be comfortable. They were brought back with a mission to rebuild his house. Um, and so as the worship team gets ready to come back up, what kind of things can we take from these events that happened 25, 2,600 years ago? First of all, what I think we can take from this is kind of an obvious one, that we will face opposition, especially when we're 
in the middle of the will of God. In this world, we will have trouble. But fortunately for us, God is always faithful. And his promise is if he said it, believe it. And his plan will always be fulfilled. So we don't have to lose heart. But because we're us and because we're more similar to the people in the story than different, when we do inevitably lose heart and when others around you lose heart, then be someone like Haggai. Say the hard thing. Speak God's truth. Preach it to yourself. Remind yourself and remind others of God's promises. Because just like these people weren't brought back to Jerusalem just to live comfortably in their own homes, Jesus didn't rescue us. He didn't rescue our souls simply so that we could live comfortably. He's rescued you. Or, if you're unaware, he's, the offer is on the table for him to rescue your soul. And in his reasoning for doing that is he wants us to be a part of what he's doing here on earth. He invites us to be a part in building his temple. Which, by the way, because of what Jesus did, the temple is now you. That's where the spirit dwells. In you, if you've accepted him as your savior. And so we all have personal work to do on building his temple. And he also invites us corporately to play a role in building his kingdom here. And so Jenny kind of challenged me. So to summarize all of these points down to a bumper sticker, basically. In the face of opposition, here's what we need to remember. That God is faithful. So we don't lose heart. And when it comes down to it, we speak God's truth. So as we get ready to go this morning, would you uh, bow your heads and pray with me one more time? God, we thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. That your word never fails. Lord, you promised that we would face opposition in this world. And so would you, through the leading of your spirit, as we walk with you, would you help us to see when we need to be still and wait on you? And when instead we need to press through the opposition and complete the work that you've given us and remain faithful to you. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm reminded this morning um, to the words of a song that's come across my phone a bunch in the last week. Uh, Lord, so would, would you help us to live in the truth that our King is risen, that you've already won the victory? Would you help us believe that every promise you've made is as good as already done? Would you remind us that whether you say yes or whether you say no, or whether you say to wait, that you're worthy of our praise? 
regardless of the way we feel, regardless of what we're facing, what opposition, what obstacles stand in our way. Lord, you're still worthy. So Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice that covers our sins. That sacrifice that allows us to be welcomed into the work that you are doing. So Lord, if there's anyone in this, uh, in this place this morning that doesn't have the relation, a relationship with you, I, uh, I pray that they might catch a glimpse of the length and the width and the height and the depth of your love for them, that they would desire to know you. And so, Lord, we, uh, we surrender to you. And as we go from here, help us to be sensitive to the moving of your spirit and lead us in the work that you've given us to do. And, Lord, we ask all these things in, uh, in your name. Amen.